God's word comes to us today from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4, the first six verses. Nehemiah 4, the first six verses. And please follow along while I read those words. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn the reproach on their own heads and give them us plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. And so we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. That is the word of God. Let us ask God's blessing upon his word. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we come into this word. This is food for our souls. And you have been pleased to give us good food. Your word is good. For it teaches us who we are. It teaches us who you are. And it teaches us of the work of Jesus Christ to remedy the gap that was between God and man. And so, Lord, today, bless our time as we are reminded again how we may live now to please you. Take away distraction from us. We know maybe some are tired or maybe some are uh, concerned about other things. But let us put those things aside as we have audience with you. And we say with Samuel of old, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When the world mocks you, when the world mocks you, beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do you have to prepare yourself for real life, you have to prepare your children also, maybe grandchildren. You have to remind yourself and you have to remind them to worship God, to eat properly, to exercise, to be honest and speak the truth, to work hard, to care for others, to fulfill their social responsibilities, even to save up for the future. But there's one more thing that is missing from that list that's important for, the, for Christians and has always been important for Christians. This is preparing yourself and your children to be mocked by those who are not God's people. And it's important that you prepare in all of these things because your job is to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're in this world for something bigger than ourselves. And so you must be prepared. 
to face these challenges and learn how to deal with being mocked. This is what we'll hear about today under three headings. The world will mock you, but you must pray for them. And second, you must continue the work that God is called. Third, that you must continue the work that God has called you to do. And our goals are that you will prepare yourself and your children to handle the mocking that you will receive by focusing on three things. Focusing on your salvation, that God has given to you, focusing on the signs that God has given to you, and then focusing on the security that God has given to you. When you have those things, then you'll be able to focus on the work that God has called you to do and not be distracted, and in fact, be able to handle the mocking that you will receive. Now we begin looking at our text. First, the world will mock you. Now the work of rebuilding Jerusalem's walls progressed and the people were making more happy. They saw the walls going up. They all did their different jobs. Some were carrying rubbish, some were building walls, some were uh, soldiers, some were making sacrifices. They all played their part. Why? Because they wanted to worship. And you know, worship is the most important thing you can do in your life. But then they started to face opposition. The opposition came from people who were largely like half-Jewish or half-breeds. And you say, who are these half-breeds? Well, a quick history lesson is this. After Solomon, the kingdom was split in two parts. In the north, there were ten and a half tribes. And in the south, there was one and a half tribes. That was often called Judah, but it was Judah and part of Benjamin. Now, the northern tribes were taken away captive in 722 BC by the Assyrians. And what the Assyrians did was take away half of the Jews away from the northern tribes and brought half pagans and put them to live in Israel. So they started to intermarry and religion disappeared. They had some semblance of it. And you remember the um, woman who had uh, Jesus at the well, the woman at the well, she was from Samaria. That's that northern part. That was sort of mixed up. So they're like half-breeds. These are the ones who were mocking the one and a half tribes that remain. But that one and a half tribes were, uh, was, were taken away into captivity in 586 BC by the Babylonians. I know I'm giving you lots of information. Don't hurt your head. We'll come back to the main point in a minute. Uh, the, the Babylonians then, after captivity for about 70 years, the Jews were allowed to return from the one and a half tribes in the south. And when they returned, one of the problems they had was the walls were destroyed. And when the walls were destroyed, there was no safety. People could come in and out. They could be robbed. Wild animals could attack. There were packed dogs at that time. And more importantly, there was no security for worship. So now Nehemiah came back and they're rebuilding the walls. And as they're rebuilding the walls, trying to be more faithful to God and to preserve worship and preserve the city from which Jesus Christ would come to die for the sins of the world, Sanballat, this half-breed Jew that mixed up in the, in the northern ten and a half tribe, started to taunt them, to mock them. Sanballat was a chief mocker, and he became very angry. Maybe it was business. The Jews were known for loving business. 
and Jerusalem being established would take away his business. Jerusalem has always been a thriving metropolis. That's what caused them to be taken, uh, the first nation to be, uh, to take them captive in 722 BC, the Assyrians. And then later on, Babylon, Babylon, when they took them captive, Jerusalem was a thriving metropolis again. So he's concerned that they could lose money, they could lose business, could lose influence. So he mocked them. And why did he mock them? He wanted them to stop rebuilding the walls. You know, sometimes when you mock people, they, they, they can't handle it and they run away. Well, that's exactly what he hoped would happen. It would get worse. He would threaten them with murder later on, but he started to mock them. And he didn't just mock the Jews to their faces. He went home to the Samaria, to the northern ten and a half tribes where he lived, and told the people there and told the army there, uh, you won't believe what those Jews are doing. And he mocked them because he wanted to get other people to support his hatred of the Jews rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now consider what he said. The details of Sanballat and Tobiah's mocking. First he said the Jews are feeble. That means they were weak or they were frail and they were attempting a hopeless project. What he was really doing is attacking the moral character, not just physically weak, but saying they don't have the determination, the character to rebuild the walls. They were weak in their commitment. He forgot that the people were weak, but their God was strong and he would always help them to complete that task. Second, he said the Jews can't protect themselves with this wall. You think you can protect yourself by the walls? You think you will fortify and that fortify means to build a fence around to make strong? They couldn't protect themselves. They forget that the Bible says that God has heavenly forces at the side of the Jews, that he will give his angels charge to protect you. As God told Satan, uh, or sorry, Satan told God, I know you have a hedge around Job. You have a fence to protect him. So they mocked the Jews, but they didn't know their doctrine. They didn't know the God of the Jews. Third, he said the Jews will not be able to make sacrifices to get the help of their God. Will they offer sacrifice? you think they will ever come to that? He mocked them. But the Jews, of course, whether they were able to make sacrifices or not was not the big issue. Those sacrifices were pointing to what? They were pointing to the work of Jesus Christ, who would be the true sacrifice for sins. They couldn't do it, but the one will come who would do it. Then he said, these Jews will take forever to build this wall. Will they complete it in a day? In other words, they think they're going to get this done. They will never get that wall done. They knew how men work. You know, you start projects. If you're a husband, you, you probably have projects around the house. You never completed. And your wife has to remind you every six months, as they say, when are you going to complete that work? You start. Here, it was different. Because these were people who were working and thinking of the kingdom of God. They were ready to work to accomplish that. And by the way, God was able to tear down Jericho's walls, didn't he? And how did he tear them down? With the shout. He didn't need muscle. And he could build walls up too. 
And he could strengthen people to build walls. He gives Samson the strength to push down buildings. That's the God they serve. But you see how the mockers came after them? Fifth, he said the Jews won't be able to, to use these burnt stones. You see, when stones are burnt, this way they got brittle and a hundred years passed. And these stones are still there. And they said, those stones will never build a strong wall. See, what they forgot is God took dirt and made man out of it. And he could reduce man to ashes again and to dust. And God was not limited by the strength of those stones. That he could make people secure. I mean, God destroyed an army with clay pots being banged and crushed. As he did the Midianite army. God was not limited by the strength of the stones because he would keep he could keep his people they need not worry one more six he said the jews and this is where the, the not just sanballat but he had a friend named tobiah tobiah was an ammonite and the ammonite ammonites were related to the jews by virtue of lot by his incestuous relationship with uh, his daughter, and these were severe enemies of God's people. So he kicked in now and said, you know, if a fox goes up on this wall, it will fall down. Now, foxes are skinny little animals. We have a bunch of them running around in Scarborough. They don't look very strong, kind of look emaciated. They couldn't survive. Uh, they couldn't hurt anyone walking on them. But they mocked them and against, ah, oh, you're wasting your time. That wall will fall down. They forgot something. You know, when God's people are loving God and are passionate, they will work together to build up his church, even if the world is against them. Even if it's hard, they will still work together. Now, let me give you some lessons here from this first point. There is the reality, the world will mock you. The world will attack you and your children. Give you some of the things the world will throw at you. One of the things that uh, Karl Marx mocked Christians is that religion, that's the opium of the people. You're just addicted to that. It'll destroy you. It'll not do you any good. Or some people would say, ah, oh, you religious people, if you're going to university, you're just you just believe in superstition. After all, we know how the world came into being, which is really the superstition, but they make it look like you are the superstitious one. I was told my family, as we left Hinduism, is that you have abandoned your heritage. You're not good Indians anymore. Or maybe if you're a young lady and you dress modestly, you will hear, how can you dress like you're from, look at the way people are dressing now. Why can't you dress more with the style of the day and where people dress in an inappropriate, immodest way? They come after you and mock you. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 11, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. He knew they would persecute God's people. And it's true, children can be unaware of what's coming for them. I see young children here. 
They're not aware how much the world will despise them and what they do. And you have to prepare them for what is coming for them. That there's antagonism towards anything Christian. They have to be aware. Know that that is true. Know that the world secondly hates you. And it's the source or the cause of their mocking you. Don't be naive and think that the world likes you. In the heart of the world, there's hatred for Christ and his people. They hate the joy and peace you have. They wouldn't admit that. But they will see you living at peace in difficult circumstances. Maybe you're not rich. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you've had struggles in your family. But you still have the peace of God in dealing with the circumstances of your life. And they hate that. There have been many studies that show they will talk about how happy their lives are. When you talk to them in person, there's a lady in Scarborough who did a PhD paper many years ago. And when she would talk to people, they would say, and she would say, are you happy? 95% of the people would say they're happy. And then she would take them in the bar and buy them a couple of drinks. And as soon as they start to get a couple of drinks, their tongue loosened up. And about 95% say they were unhappy afterwards. You know why? They didn't have the peace in their heart. Christians do. And they will come after you for that because they don't like you to be happy. You should be miserable just like the others. Third, you will never be able to satisfy other religions and peacefully coexist with them in this world. Now, other religions can get along with each other, but not with Christianity. And you wonder why they can't get along with us. We don't go around persecuting Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and atheists. We don't get them and throw them in jail or cut their heads off as they do in Muslim countries. You can live with them, but they can't live with you. And don't be fooled by the fact that sometimes they are very nice people in different religions. And they can be for a time. And when they become in charge, then you realize the true nature of those people. And you see that. My family are, my wife's family are all Muslims. And they appear to be very nice. But wherever the Muslim gets in charge, then other violence comes against Christians, the harassing of Christians. Same things happened in Sri Lanka. When the Buddhists were struggling, they were very nice to Christians. Now Christians are routinely being targeted because they have more Buddhist leadership in the country. That's the reality. And you have to prepare yourself and your children to deal with that. You can't change that fact. That's in their heart. That's what their religion teaches. That's their natural view. So have some pity upon them, but expect that that's what they will do. One more, uh, one more thing here. And by the way, having spent time in, in India, I remember seeing some of the pastors in the South. And they had some marks in their bodies that will make you uh, cringe in the abuse they faced from people in the South who attacked them. And the month before I got there, one pastor was, they use the term, clothes lined. 
where they run a wire across the, the road and you're riding your motorcycle and literally they found his body the next day. That's the reality of life. And people don't like you. Don't be surprised. Don't try to be liked. Love God. Serve him. If you do what is right, people will like you or did not like you. It doesn't matter. You're doing what God says. One more lesson. God despises those who despises his people. Don't fear those who despise you, who mock you. Justice will come, like in uh, Proverbs 3.34. Surely he scorns the scornful. God knows what they do. Don't worry about that. So what did Nehemiah do? He, they're trying to do good. They're trying to rebuild the walls. They're trying to get business back. They're trying to get security. And then the mocking starts. People are harassing them. Maybe they'll say, oh, we should stop this because we don't want to be mocked. Look at what they're saying to us. Well, that was not his response. That's our second point. He said, you must pray for them. You must pray for them. Nehemiah's response to the mocking and taunting was not to respond in petulance. You know, some people would say, I'm a Christian. How could bad things happen to me? How could I be mocked? How could I lose my job? How could, how could, how could? But that wasn't his response because God uses those troubles as part of cleaning us up and getting us to be more trusting and dependent on him. So instead of complaining, he prayed. He prayed as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Let your kingdom come and how that kingdom comes. Look how unworthy the psalmist is in Psalm 38. Uh, verse 13, he said, but I like a deaf man do not hear. I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. For in you, Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord, my God. That's the confidence he had. That God will hear his cry. Now, what did he pray? Look at the prayer now that he prayed. And it's not a wimpy prayer. It's not a scared prayer. It's a confident prayer. First of all, Nehemiah addressed his prayer to Jehovah God, the true and living God, showing a distinction between Sanballat's God and his God. Second, Nehemiah acknowledged that these men hated the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people, and they were doing what God commanded them to do, but they were hated for it, and it they were trying to get them to stop or to hinder their work. Third, Nehemiah asked God to turn Sanballat's shame and Tobiah's shame on their own heads. To make them conquered. He prayed that God would have them taken into captivity. They were just recovering from captivity, the Jews. But these men were doing the very same thing that sent the people into captivity in the first place to corrupt the worship of God or to stop it. So he said, God, send them into captivity. Let them know who the real God is, just like you let us know who the real God is. And that seems like a hard thing to, to pray. But if you have your sermon notes, you will see I have a couple of passages there. One is from Psalm 69, and these are called imprecatory prayers. That means praying for God's judgment upon those who are doing wickedly. You see, God is loving and God is also just. When we pray your kingdom come, we pray that people will believe the gospel. 
But we're also praying that those who oppose the gospel will be stopped and destroyed so that the gospel can spread. Now hear this. Psalm 69 verse 24. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling, that's their house, be desolate. Let no one live in their tents for they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Very strong language, isn't it? Look also at Psalm 79 verse 12. And return to our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom. Their reproach with which they have reproached you, O God. You see, to mock God's people is to mock God. To mock God's people is to mock God. Now Nehemiah wasn't against God forgiving them if they repented. He wasn't against forgiveness. He simply wanted God to take note of their sins and punish them for the wicked things they did. Second, uh, sorry, fourth, he prayed, acknowledging that these men have made God angry by attacking God's people. And fifth, Nehemiah was not being vindictive and revengeful. Sanballat was opposing God and trying to stop the worship of God. So Sanballat and Tobiah were not Nehemiah's personal enemies, but they were enemies of God and of his people. Sanballat deserved worse judgment because he opposed the worship of God. And remember, the worst punishment in the Bible is not reserved for murderers or adulterers. The worst punishment in the Bible is reserved for those who corrupted the worship of God, either by changing it or by avoiding it. I have four quick lessons here. First of all, what's your first instinct if someone attacks you? It's to attack back, isn't it? Now we're not talking about if someone physically attacks you, you have a responsibility to defend yourself. So they come at you with a wood, you get a bigger wood and you protect yourself. That's not what this is talking about. If they attack you verbally, they attack what you believe. If they attack how you live, the first response must not be to respond in the same way. Your response must be to pray to God. Second, pray that God will protect you and your children from the mocking of the world. Third, pray God will protect uh, and rather punishes enemies who are bent on harming God's people and hindering them in their ability to worship God. Remember, you're looking for justice, not revenge, right? You're not praying that God will crush somebody because they made some nasty comment about you. You, you know, somebody cuts you off on the road. You say, oh, I hope somebody smashes into them. That's not what he's speaking of here. That's revenge. This is speaking of God's justice. May God punish them for that. And fourth, pray God will pardon the sins of the enemies who repent of their sins and show it and trust in Christ to carry the burden of their sins. That's what the Jews believe. And Nehemiah, while he's saying, God, destroy them because they're stopping us, he knew if God, if they repented, that God would take them back, would remove their sins because they look to the coming Savior and they will be fine. 
But that's a quick second point. I have a third point I want you to think of. So the world will mock you. Whatever you do, that's no good. Why are you wasting your time in all of those things? Why are you going to church and spending the, the whole day there? So many hours. You could make some extra money. You could get time and a half if you work on Sundays. Well, they'll mock you for that. You must pray for them. Pray that God will save them. And if they will not accept the salvation, that God would punish them for hindering you from your work. But along with prayer comes the third point. You must also go back to your work. That's what they did. Look at verse 6. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Acknowledge the mocking and then praying but then set your mind to do the work that God called you to do. That's what they did. Oh yeah, we hear the mocking. Oh yeah, we pray to God, but we must get back to work. They did not allow themselves to be distracted with the mocking. The people then worked in unity until the entire wall was repaired, for they had a mind to work. <clears throat> That's the commitment that they had. So they prayed, and then they worked. That's the point. That's all there is there. They saw the mocking, they prayed to God, and they went about, they went back to their work. What are some things I want you to consider in this point is this. Prayer is necessary, but don't pray when you should be working. Let me repeat that. Prayer is necessary, but don't pray when you should be working. You know, if you pray when you should be working, that prayer then is sinful because God has given you a time to do different things. So let me give you a picture. Let's say you want uh, a wife. I don't know if there are any single people here, but it's the same principle applies. Let's say you want a wife. Don't just pray for a wife. You go out and meet young people, young ladies. Talk to them, dress nicely. Work hard. Set a good example of a godly life. If you want a wife, a husband, live godly. Dress well. Present yourself well. Start talking to godly men. That's what God expects. You pray and you work. You want to serve as a leader in the church? Live well. Start studying. Start doing the work of a deacon or an elder. Start preparing for what God might do for you in the future. So you must pray and you must work. But specific to this passage, play your part in the building of the kingdom of Jesus, a kingdom that has fallen in very hard times. You know, brothers and sisters, the church in Canada, in the Western world, is very weak. We have many broken down walls. You can't always tell the difference between the world and the, the church. We have a church near where we live where the minister is a woman and she doesn't believe in God. Hear what I just said. She wrote a book called With or Without God. And there are 150 people there who go to that church every Sunday. That's the problem that we have. So it's not the distinction anymore. The church has fallen in hard times. 
And you need to identify what your calling is. Maybe as a, a, a mother, maybe as a father, maybe as an elder, maybe as a deacon, maybe as a minister of the gospel. Whatever God calls you to do, you have to play your part. That's what helped the walls to be built. Are you playing your part in the church work? You know, they say in church work, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That's not nice at all, is it? Are you playing your part in this church so that you can work for building up the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Are you evangelizing? Are you telling others about Jesus Christ? The third lesson is this. Don't complain about how much people don't like you. Don't allow your enemies to distract you from the work that God has called you to do. If people criticize your parenting, you spank your kids? Oh no. Modern psychology said you'll make them into mass murderers. It never worked with us, but they still think they know everything. Oh no, you can't do that, that's terrible. You spend so much time in church on Sundays. Two times you go to church. You allow God's word to direct all of your life. Religion is for Sunday, isn't it? Why are you using that on Tuesday afternoon? We forget for of him and through him and to him are all things. That means we live our entire life for the glory of God. Or you spend so much money sending your children to a Christian school. There are free schools you can send your children to. That's another way of mocking the people of God. You know, women are being mocked because they say we submit to our husband. You know how the government characterizes that? Some of the people working for the government, that you, there's a master-slave relationship. The woman is a slave. That's how the government characterizes Christian marriages. What do you do when this happens? Keep being a godly wife. Keep being a godly parent. Keep worshiping the Lord. When they don't like how you spend your money. Maybe you help others. You're thinking of showing charity to others. Keep doing what God is calling to do. Maybe you wouldn't be rich like they are rich. But you're rich in other ways. You're storing up your treasures in heaven because you think long term. And you remember all that the Lord Jesus has done for you. You play your part. You pray for God's help. And you do the work that God has called you to do. Let's summarize and conclude. Sambalat, the half-breed Jew, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, both related to, to the uh, Jewish church, but they were not good people. They insulted the Jews in personal ways. But remember, to mock God's people is to mock God. And God will hold them accountable. But instead of going into the mud with these animals, Nehemiah committed himself to pray for God's justice upon these wicked people and, and pray for protection of the godly. And then he urged Jews to go back to work, the work that God called them to do. So brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, you know the kind of world your children will be raised in. 
a world that will mock them for serving God, a world that will accuse them of being brainwashed. You believe God made the world? We have some other way of explaining that. It's illogical, but they will still think like, from a point of singularity, with no outside force, with no explanation, suddenly there was an explosion that was impossible to happen, but they believe it happened. That's how we came into being. And suddenly there were gases and all kinds of things and there was life and, and something crawled out of a tree and then we start making iPhones. That, that's, that's really the reality of what they believe. And they will say, that's what you should believe. Don't be brainwashed about God making the world in six days. Your children will also lose opportunities. Try running for office in this country, holding to the Christian principles. It'll be very difficult. We know the trouble of our kids getting into university because they were homeschooled. They just brush you off right away. You're no good. You're not good enough. Your children will not be invited to some people's homes, some of their friends. They won't invite them. That's the reality. So how do you prepare your children to deal with these inevitable attacks and keep them working for Christ? First of all, don't argue with foolish people. They can't discern it. Don't try to convince them. Their hearts cannot understand spiritual things. Focus on whose you are. You're a child of God. That you are loved by Christ. You are with your family that loves you. Depend upon each other. Remember how rich you are for eternity and that you're not living only for this world. Remember you are righteous. You are declared righteous by God. You're wanted by God. You're loved by God. You were saved by God. You'll be kept for eternity by the one who matters the most. Yes, you might lose friends. You might lose jobs. You might lose opportunities. But you have God and his people on your side. And then pray for those who attack you. Pray that their eyes will be turned to their own sins and that they will then trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, seeing their sins. And if they refuse to turn for their sins, pray that God will, his heavy hand of judgment will come upon them. And one final thought. All who oppose God's kingdom will die without hope and spend eternity in hell. If you are not a Christian, that's what will happen to you because there's only one way to be saved. If you don't want to die that way, ask God to make you his child through Jesus Christ. He will count Jesus's life and death as yours. He promised that. He always keeps his promise. If you ask him in sincerity, let us pray. Thank you, Father, for your words. Remind us whose we are. Remind us that there will be mocking. You told us there would be, but you prepared us for it. You have given us everything we need. Our souls are saved and secured forever. You give us a science to remember in the Lord's Supper and Baptism of how much you loved us, washed us, and made us clean. And we remember how much you love us every day when we read your word. So though the world will mock us, we'll continue to do the work that you've called us to do. Hear us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.